Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, I'm George Cup, And I'm Callum Gurr. And you're about to listen to the podcast version of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. Please note that this is a podcast. So... It's not a live broadcast, so please do not try to vote in any of the polls or send in messages to any of our discussions, as your message will not be registered, but you may still be charged. Also, please note that not all of the opinions expressed in this podcast are our actual opinions, but may be expressed to create a better discussion. Anyway, enjoy the podcast and don't miss our live broadcast every Sunday on Wizard Radio Station. And welcome to another episode of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. My name is Callum Gurr and I'll be joined by my co-host and sponsor George Cup. Hello everyone. This evening, Callum and I will prove to you that you could have impassioned debates whilst holding vastly different opinions without falling out at the end of the night. So this evening we will be discussing, will the government's new tier system reduce the number of coronavirus cases? At what age do you think you will own your own house? And lastly, are you already looking forward to Christmas? With each of these discussions being accompanied by polls, which you have the chance to vote on at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And these discussions will be open until the end of the song break between each topic. But first, last week we asked for you guys to send in your questions for me and George to answer. And we've had, as always, some really good questions come in. The first is from Jack. Jack says, For weeks on end, the news has been full of stories about industries being decimated, people being out of work, the unemployment rate going up, and so on. At some point through this this pandemic will end. A solution, whether it's medication or a vaccine, will be found, and our economy will return to the heights it has been at before. But my question for you is, how long do you think it will take for industries to get back to normal after the pandemic has ended? Or do you think that maybe things will actually never be the same again? Are all of the theatres and live uh, and music venues going to struggle to ever really return to their glory? What do you think is the long-term impact of this? You get my point. George, what do you reckon? Well, I mean, as ever on this show, Jack, it's uh, it's very hard for Canada and I to look into our crystal ball and see what, what the future may hold. Um, but I think on... on what we have seen from the help that the government has tried to give to businesses in, in the furlough scheme and, and the payback loan, bounce back loan, sorry, um, and things like that. 
I think that it's clear that the government is definitely um, invested in ensuring that the, the economy can grow and it can recover once this is over. And you are so right in saying that we don't actually know when this will be over, um, whether that is due to a vaccine or um, some other biological system that comes in. Who knows? Um, but I think that the main thing is that for me, I don't see um, our economy truly recovering to the levels that it was, um, I would say, probably for the next five to even 10 years, possibly. Um, I think that it's very much going to be like a reco recovery of what we saw from when um, Labour were last in administration in the government. Um, and obviously we had the financial crisis, etc. And I think as we saw, that took a long time to recover from. And I mean, I don't think there's no denial in saying that technically this country is going through a, a some sort of financial crisis um, with all the different loans and things that are being given out by the government. And that is why I think it will take very long to recover from. The way things will look, I do think they will look very, very different. Absolutely. I think that office working, a lot of them will now start to work from home, which will reduce office costs for companies. Um, I think that theatres and things like that, I think people will appreciate their theatres a lot more and, and and actually go and support them um, a lot more than maybe they used to and, and even their local smaller theatres I reckon they will choose to go and attend and make sure that they try and support um, but I think that definitely with technology that or the technology that is already in place and people have only started to realize is there that is definitely made a big um, impact during the, the, the lockdown and during the pandemic and People, I think, now are realising that there is that technology out there to allow them to be a little bit more, I suppose, flexible when it comes to working. And, and I think that's the biggest thing that will change during during our kind of um, in our economy and the way we work and, and live. What What are your thoughts, Callum? I, I I agree with you, George, in kind of how long it will take to recover from this. I I, I had already written down a decade. I think it will will take at least. Um, just because of what uh, and big impact it's already had on the economy, but what an even longer term impact it's going to have going forward, looking towards Christmas time and, and early next year. Um, I think actually probably we've only really started to see the the start of the, the impact this is going to have on the economy, particularly with the fact that um, the uh, kind of uh, support measures uh, in place from the government are becoming slightly less generous than what they were um, at the start, um, and so that that means the impact's going to be going to be stronger, sort of thing. I think uh, in terms of how quick the actually specific industries will recover, I think is very much dependent upon the industry and dependent upon the businesses within that industry. Um, if we look at something like um, domestic tourism, so people from the UK holidaying within the UK, I actually think that will do quite well. I think it's probably already doing, in a sense, quite well, g given the, the circumstances we're in, and no one's getting as much profit as they used to. Um, and I think that once we have a vaccine and things like that, that, that will recover fairly quickly, actually. It doesn't necessarily mean that all these restaurants and that will open again, but those that manage to survive, I think, will do well um, because there's not that fear factor about travelling within the UK. In terms of um, external tourism, 
I think that's more likely to take a bit longer because people are going to be a bit worried about um, going and getting on a plane where it's kind of recycled air and things like that. Um, I, do, I wonder whether or not things like ferry travel and possibly even train travel may well become slightly more popular for if you're traveling abroad than, than air travel, just because air travel to me seems so confined, even as compared to a train where there does just seem to be a little bit more room there. Um, but I, I think as George says as well, I, I agree that it's so difficult for us to say with any certainty what, what's going to happen. I mean, it, it, we, we wouldn't have predicted this um, a year ago, really. So to, to know what's going to happen in the future, we, we don't know for sure. But as George says, we can see from the financial crisis that that took at least a decade, really, to, to recover from. I don't even think we'd actually fully recovered from it. And so I think the coronavirus will take a decade as well. Um, our next opinion comes in from Robbie and they say, I hope I'm not too late to submit this message for Cup and Go show on Sunday. You're not. You got it in. Well done. Um, Brexit has been in the news a lot the past few days, especially with Boris saying that we would now prepare to lead the EU with a no deal when his whole campaign was that uh, he was going to get Brexit done. Leaving without a deal isn't really getting Brexit done. Now, is it? It's crashing out in the middle of a global pandemic when our economy is already in recession. But my question for Cup and Go is if you agree with Boris's Brexit strategy and do you think it will hurt his re-election chances? But his re-election will probably be judged on Brexit and coronavirus and he doesn't seem to be doing very well at either of them. Well, Callum, what are your thoughts? Um, well, I'm becoming no shock to you, Robbie, if you're a regular listener that I don't agree with um, what Boris Johnson's <laughs> doing about Brexit. Uh, I think it's incredibly reckless due to, as you say, um, the fact that, that we're already in dire straits economically and it's only going to get worse and to, to uh, kind of exit in such a haphazard manner um, is, is certainly not ideal, to put it uh, very lightly. In terms of whether I think that will hurt his re-election chances, I don't think the actual fact of Brexit will, but I think his handling of the coronavirus will hurt his re-election chances, which then means that his Brexit strategy is seen in the light of the fact that he hasn't handled coronavirus on the whole particularly well, particularly as it's come up towards post kind of lockdown. Um, and so I, I think on that basis, the actual actual Brexit won't do much harm, but the kind of overall uh, scenario which he's overseeing will, will hurt his re-election chances. What do you think, George? Well, again, I suppose I, I'll take the, the stance that Callum has had. There's no secret that I'm not a, a signed up fan of the, the no, the uh, no deal club. Um, but, and I worry that this was Johnson's plan all along. Um, I really do as much as I do agree that he went to, um, the electorate and said that he wants to get a deal and get Brexit done. There would be those, and I'm sure there are many of those that would argue that actually coming out with no deal is what they wanted and it is to get Brexit done. Um, and that is, sorry, getting Brexit done. And I, and I think that, Unfortunately, um, the the appetite and the the argument, and rightly so, has gone away from from Brexit, and people's people's attention has turned to um, obviously the coronavirus and the pandemic that's going on. So this kind of bombshell that's coming from Johnson, I think people weren't overly uh, prepared for, and I think it's just created more worry and um, <clears throat> kind of distrust in the government that didn't need to happen. Um, I, I think that it's it's potentially could be 
problematic for the country. But I ultimately, at the same time, I don't really think that it will overly affect Johnson's election chances. I mean, I would be very surprised if Johnson leads us into, um, and when I say us, I mean the Conservative Party, um, into the next general election. I really I would be surprised if, <clears throat> excuse me, that would be the case. Um, and, and yeah, I think that his handling of coronavirus, as it's been recorded on the show, I think early on, it was more or less um okay um but as time has gone on i think it has got uh weaker and, and not as effective and his leadership has diminished somewhat um but there you go right and moving on to our next question from uh shoshana uh sorry I'm, i guarantee i've pronounced that wrong um <laughs> it says this might be a bit random but it's something i feel like none of us actually know about either of you what is your music taste what are you listening to currently and who are your current favourite music artists? George. Dear, oh dear. Um, this is, this is, you're not going to be very impressed about what I'm going to say. So, I uh, mean, my music taste is, I think it's probably classed as, um, modern jazz. Um, mm-hmm. and I, shut up, Callum. And, uh, I think that also, um, I mean, I don't really know what his, uh, his genre would be. What would be, um, Thingy Gallagher's genre? What would that, what was his music be? No, Gallagher. Um, yeah alternative rock so alternative rock as well I'm, i am a bit of a rock star um <laughs> <laughs> um but i but yeah i mean unfortunately i don't really keep up to date with the current music i'm not really into all this hip and pop and jive and <laughs> strive whatever it's called um so i i kind of i mean i like some of the new like tiktok songs they're not bad um but ultimately i i kind of have this, my same playlist that i listen to that's about 10 years old um that has artists like the calling and um take that and michael buble and things like that on there um so i'm very boring and i'm very much an old man when it comes to music callum what are you listening to uh, again, similarly, I don't listen to much current music, to be quite honest with you. Generally speaking, I mean, uh, Noel Gallagher, obviously, I'm a big fan. Also, some of our listeners will know that. Liam Gallagher as well. Oasis, of course. Um, I like the Beatles, the band. Uh, Little Richard is one that over lockdown I discovered that I really like. Um, in terms of more kind of contemporary music, uh, I, I do listen to, to a little bit of house and future house music. Um, but probably not as much as I was around that like year ago. I've, I've kind of reverted back a little bit towards more, more kind of old, old songs, but old songs that maybe I've not listened to before and artists that, that I, I had not really, um, tried before lockdown. I've been trying to do, um, a little bit more of, but I'll be very disappointed because I'm, I, I, I couldn't name you probably anyone that's in the charts right now. <laughs> Right then, uh, remember, we'll be announcing what the question will be for you to send in your opinions on at the end of tonight's show. So make sure you're ready for that for the chance to be featured in this segment of next week's show. We've reached time for our first song break, so we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back to To Discuss. And let's move on to our second discussion of this evening. And we're asking, will the government's new tier system reduce the number of coronavirus cases? So earlier on in this week, the government announced their new 
three-tier system of COVID-19 restrictions, which most of the country is in. It's the lowest tier, which is medium, but millions of people in the North and the Midlands face extra curbs on household mixing. So what are these tiers? So they are three tiers, medium, high and very high. So medium is things like following the rule of six if meeting indoors or outdoors and pubs and restaurants must close at 10 p.m. High is no household mixing indoors. Rule of six would apply outdoors and pubs and restaurants must to shut at 10 p.m. And very high um, is no household mixing indoors or outdoors in hospitality venues or private gardens. Rule of six applies indoors uh, and outdoors in public spaces like parks uh, and pubs and bars not serving meals will be closed. Guidance against traveling in and out of those areas that are in that tier. A lot of people have criticised the tiers that have come in, saying that if they are, the government's going to do this, they might as well do a national lockdown because that seems to be the only thing that is effective. But who knows? Callum, do you think this new tier system that the government has put in place is the right step forward in, in ensuring that the coronavirus cases finally start to drop? I think that for a long time we've been talking about the fact we need to have a more localised um, response to the coronavirus pandemic. So I think the tier system is actually a welcome step in that direction. I think the trouble for me with with everything really that with the UK government's handling of the coronavirus is that it doesn't come with those measures in place that have ensured in other countries um, that, that they've managed to get more of a grip on this virus. Although I, I always speak with that very much of a pinch of salt because I think this virus is very easy to get out of control um, if you don't take action very quickly. Um, I, I think for me, the fact that the test and trace system is still so inadequate means that no matter what steps the government takes, it, it's going to be very difficult to really get a grip on this. Um, and as you say, George, I think there's definitely a case to be made that actually the most effective thing we've seen in the UK um, in terms of saving lives was the, the full nationwide lockdown that we saw. Um, I think the trouble with that is that there's a public attitude of not wanting to do that, whereas um, in, in the last lockdown, there was very much a sense of solidarity and the sense that um, that people would comply with this because they quite rightly thought that it gave the government, or not just the government, but all of the kind of um, public institutions the time to... Um, develop a proper test and trace system, make sure that there's proper um, proper testing sites available and, and that the NHS wouldn't be overwhelmed and all of that. But it would give them enough time to mean that then, going forward, after lockdown, we wouldn't have to enter into one again. Obviously, if we're entering into a second one, that shows that wasn't, on the whole, successful. And so it means that that, that, that public support's just not there. Um, and I, I think that makes it really, really difficult um, so for me, I'm, I think quite possibly um, that this won't be wholly successful. I, I don't think it's going to do any harm the new tier system as such, because I think that the other thing that, that needs to be given in tandem with this is proper economic support for those businesses that are affected particularly in tier three, but also tier two um, as well. Um, and so for me, 
uh, I think there, there needs to be to make sure that this has the maximum impact and reduce it in the number of coronavirus cases. I think the purse strings need to be loosened a little bit. There needs to be more support for businesses and more support for people that are affected by these restrictions. I, I think the other way to go, um, but again, it would have to come with proper support, would be the circuit break that they're talking about, where you have kind of a, a shorter lockdown of, say, two weeks um, to try and then give public services the time to catch up and, and deal with the existing cases and, and ensure that the kind of the number of new cases developing slows right down because we're in that temporary lockdown. I think there's also there's definitely evidence suggesting that could be a way to go, but they are doing that in Northern Ireland. So perhaps it's, it's good that we've got two separate approaches so we can see which one on the whole um, is more effective. What do you think, George? Um, well, I, I think that uh, it is interesting the way the government has decided to move forward to, to try and handle and tackle um, the, the coronavirus cases that are increasing um, at a dramatic rate. Um, I mean, I think they started to level out a little bit, but but nothing to, to what we saw um, during the summer. And I, and I think that um, this is an approach that could be effective. I, I really do. I, I think that the local lockdowns are something that should work. And I think that as long as there is that collaboration and the the um, togetherness of, of the communities and the government working together in, in those areas that are being put into tier two or tier three um, that can actually support each other to make sure that these lockdowns, local lockdowns actually work. Um, I, I can see the arguments as to why a, a national lockdown would would be uh, more beneficial in, in trying to stop the cases. But I, I kind of feel as if that would, it, as Callum has rightly said, it, there is not the national support there. When you've got areas like Kent, for example, that are, have got reasonably low um, coronavirus case numbers, um, against somewhere up north it, i i feel it seems wrong to to put kent in lockdown when it's nowhere near as bad as other areas of, of the country um and i think that Callum is so right also in saying that these areas that are going into tier two and tier three they must have more support from um, the government because it's it's wrong for for the government to expect these businesses to potentially shut down if as i said in the introduction if they're not serving food um and not have any income i, I I think that that is is very harsh on those kind of businesses. I mean, I know that there is certain help there, but it's nothing like it was during the midst of the full lockdown. Um, and I think as well that we, what's quite interesting is there are some counties that have chosen to put themselves into a higher tier. For example, like Essex. Essex were originally um, told to go into the lowest tier, which was medium, but they chose to put themselves into um, the high tier um, because they they felt as if their cases were going up. At too much of a rate and they wanted to try and put a stop to that um, and I think that that is also a good thing about this is that the government has got to be sure that they are talking to the leaders of the local areas um, in to see what the local leaders want um, and, and to see if they can actually come to some kind of um, agreement as to what kind of lockdown it, it may be. I mean, they're in the tier three. The government have said that the uh, precautions and the restrictions in place can be kind of um, uh, talked about and there can be new ones put in or other ones can be loosened a bit depending on the area that obviously is in lockdown and what the, the leaders of those areas have said. So I, I do think that as much as 
it may be hard for those local areas that are in higher tiers. Um, I think that it is something that could work as long as people come together. And I think, Callum, this is the biggest question throughout this coronavirus, I suppose, is that is the responsibility of oneself, is that the government's responsibility or should I be um, big enough and old enough to be responsible for myself to ensure that I take the precautions not to catch the coronavirus? Um, I think on looking at the question in isolation, the responsibility to care for oneself reasonably is up to, to yourself and, and your family, I suppose, in many ways, with the support of the government if things get really bad and, and as a kind of last resort. I think looking at it in terms of specifically on the coronavirus, the responsibility is on the government um, because of the fact that if we just said, OK, it's, it's up to everyone to look after themselves, take precautions to ensure they don't get the coronavirus. But the, the fact of the matter is that then we're all very much reliant upon other people, all being very strict in observing those rules, too, because with the coronavirus, it's not just that if you protect yourself, you're guaranteed to not get it because maybe even someone you're living with is not as good at that and they come home and they give it to you and it's kind of a knock-on effect. Um, and so I think that the responsibility in that case has to fall, perhaps I spoke slightly wrong in saying just the government, but it has to fall on kind of everyone and you can't just think about yourself um, in, in terms of this. Um, George, the question I had for you was actually... There's been a lot of um, controversy around the fact of gyms and whether or not they should be opening um, if you're going into a tier three lockdown. In Liverpool, um, they're, they're not allowed to open gyms, I believe, whereas in Lancashire, which last night I think it was, um, agreed to enter into to tier three, they can open the gyms. I mean, where do you stand on this? Do you think gyms should be opening? Well, I mean, obviously, um, the, the decision of that is is actually the government will not decide on whether or not gyms and things like that should open. That is down to the local leaders of the area, um, whether or not gyms should open and should not. I mean, I personally think that um, gyms can, as long as they follow the, the correct procedures of, of the social distancing and keeping everything clean, I think they can to somewhat actually be an area of of clean and, and cleanliness, as long as they are wiping everything down and making sure that there is two two meter distance between people using the gyms but i i do think though that there are some gyms out there there are um ignoring the rules that are in place and actually allowing people to come in and completely um just use the equipment as if there was nothing even going on um and i think those areas really need to be cracked down upon because that's where the, the issues lie um we because people are just being lazy i mean um where i where um someone I know works they are very strict they have someone at the door making sure some people uh, sanitize as they walk in and then after every time someone uses a machine there's another person standing in the gym that goes to each machine and wipes it down before someone can use it again um, and I think a system like that is incredibly important to have in place but ultimately I think that gyms can be a good place to make sure that mental health is supported and 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 because people can get out they can exercise they can get rid of frustrations and and things like that um i mean Callum, do you do you think that it is right that gyms are um firstly being left to the local authorities to decide to to leave open or shut and secondly do you think they should be shut altogether 
I think it would probably be good to just have a, a, a national line on whether or not gyms in tier three should open or shut because I think it's either true that they're they're spreading the virus around or, or it's or the evidence suggests they're not. Um, for me personally, I'm in, uneasy about having them remain open. To be quite honest, um, just simply because and and, and I'm no scientist, so this may be completely um, not true as such. Although I I don't think that the science really knows for sure. Um, but I I just think that if you're going to be doing heavy exercise, your breathing's likely to be a lot heavier, um, and so the the likelihood of spreading it to someone else for me seems like it would increase um, in a gym setting, particularly given it's quite often recycled air or, or not the most kind of aired out spaces in gyms. And, and so I, I kind of, I would be uneasy personally about going to a gym, but whether or not that should mean no one else should be able to, um, it, it's a very, very difficult one. But I think we have to be, uh, we have to work out whether or not gyms are, are going to be likely to be spreading the virus, either because no matter what the staff do, they will, or because um, gyms aren't kind of taking up that advice, as you say. I mean, some gyms are, but some gyms maybe aren't. And and how do you think this poll is going to go? I think that I think most people will say yes. I'm going to say 55% of people. What about you? I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to say that 55% of people will say no. But as always. There is only one way to find out, and that's for all of you uh, lovely people to go and vote on this poll. Will, will the government's new tier system reduce the number of coronavirus cases? And you can do that at uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back after this break. Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked the question, will the government's new tier system reduce the number of coronavirus cases? Um, and you can go to our Twitter address at WizRadio to find out the results of that poll. Right then, time to move on to our third discussion of this evening. And we are asking, at what age do you think you will own your own house? So obviously, of the two co-hosts we have here, Cup and Ger, uh <laughs> George, or, or, or Cup, I should say, uh, owns his own house, uh, whereas Gurr is unfortunately not, not quite in, in such a position. Uh, I believe that, that Cup got his house at 22 years age, or was it 23? I was 22. 22. Um, and obviously, I, I would anticipate that it may well be more towards my kind of 25th birthday that I might be looking at getting a house. But we wanted to see what our listeners thought when they thought they might get an uh, get a house. Rather, uh, would it be at the age of uh, 18 to 20, uh, 21 to 24, uh, 25 to 29, or 30 and over? Oh, I mean, I guess it could even be under 16, but I'm, I'm, we're going to say no, probably not. Uh, George, b- before we go on to this, obviously, we, we know you've already got your own house, so that's not quite so interesting in many ways. But there's been a development, <laughs> hasn't there, um, in terms of um, government policy. Um, so do you want to talk us through that a little bit? Well, so um, a couple of weeks ago, the uh, 
Boris Johnson obviously did his speech to uh, the, the Conservative Party conference um, and he decided and oh, he didn't decide. He announced that um, for first time buyers, there would now be a new five percent deposit scheme to help those um, in, in need and those that want to mortgage. So currently in place. There is a 10% deposit scheme um, where most mortgage companies will expect 10% of what the house is valued at um, for you to then get a mortgage on that house. There are some, and I say some, mortgage companies that will allow you to have 5% deposit, but you have to be earning rather the big bucks for that to happen. I mean, obviously, um, up until now, there are schemes in place like the help to buy scheme there were um, government uh, schemes where you could pay into a bank and then they would give you a bonus as well there's the shared ownership scheme um, which is a very good scheme and and um, things like that but the, the main thing is is that the government is trying to get out of this kind of um, hurdle where young people like ourselves are struggling to um, get enough of a um, deposit in place to allow us to then go forward and purchase a house um it's it is very difficult to save and to make sure that there is a deposit and then also to go forward from that and make sure that you can afford the mortgage um it, it's a very difficult thing to get onto but once you're on the housing ladder it can um actually be a a, a very positive thing to to obviously be on and uh um, because once you're on there, it's it's a lot easier to develop your, I suppose, house portfolio if you'd like. Um, but, but Callum, do you think that um, you are en route to potentially uh, saving enough money to to get a deposit? And and also, secondly, would it help you or would it go a long way that you would only need a 5 percent deposit on a house rather than a 10 percent deposit? Um I think at the moment with with not having a kind of confirmed full time job, uh, no, I'm not really on the path towards home ownership. I have got a, a temporary part-time job, but, but that's not really earning me any particular um, large amount of money that, that would contribute towards that. Uh, the five deposit, though, will be a massive, a uh, 5% deposit will be a massive help, um, hopefully, when, when I get a full-time job in terms of saving up towards that. I mean, that completely changes the game in many ways, um, a 5% deposit. Um, because I think in, in the past, at points, it's been up towards more like 20% um, deposit, which is, is an astronomical sum that you have to get up front. So I think it will make a, a kind of massive difference. I mean, George, what kind of tips have you got um, as a homeowner for, for people that want to eventually become a homeowner of, of maybe how you got um, well, I was I was very uh, cautious on the things I spent my money on. I made sure that um, I would actually set myself a, a lower spending limit than I was actually earning so that that money would automatically just go into savings. Um, I was also very um, I mean, I'm, I won't lie. I was very um, fortunate that I well, I say fortunate. It wasn't fortunate at all. But um, one of my relatives sadly passed away um, and I was left a little bit of money, which obviously helped towards a deposit as well. Um, and also as well, there are schemes out there that really do help. Like I said, like the help to buy scheme. 
scheme. Um, there are banks that are still doing that where you can, um, as long as it's money only spent on a house, um, there's help to buy ISAs as well, that, which will ensure that um, your money is only going towards a house. And there are very good interest rates on that. And then when you actually purchase a house, you get a percentage of that money as a bonus. Um, so I got, I think it was about £700 back on the deposits uh, that I put down, which was obviously helped towards my solicitor costs. The biggest thing I would say when going to buy a house is be aware of how much solicitor fees will be, because that is the biggest burden is that you may think to yourself that you've got enough money to afford a deposit. You've got enough money to um, get the mortgage in, in place. But you've got to make sure that you put at least three to four thousand pounds aside for a, um, uh, a solicitor, because they can be very expensive, depending on the kind of building you're buying um, and also the procedure that you take to, to buy your house and however how long that procedure takes so definitely make sure that you've got that reserve as well in place i mean as as exciting as it will be when you get to that point where you've got that amount of money for your deposit keep saving because it's always good to have a full back um, when it comes to money just in case something goes wrong just in case you need to spend a little bit more money and also you need a bit more money to obviously fill it with things that you want and to buy some furniture for yourself and things like that um and don't rush it I think that's the main thing is take your time on what you're looking for. Um, and once you do buy it, take your time to move in. You don't have to rush everything. I mean, I bought mine in the midst of a pandemic and I bought it and it was it was sat empty for almost two or three months. Um, and over time, I eventually moved things in. And I think that actually helped me in the, the moving out process because it was the first ever time that I moved out by myself. It's the first ever time I haven't lived with my parents. Um, so. Yeah, it's it's a scary thing. But if you take your time and, and really uh, believe in yourself, you can absolutely do it. And uh, uh, what age do you think people will say? I think that people will probably say between 21 and 24. What do you think, Adam? I think that people are pessimistic. They'll say 30 and over. But we will see. Uh, so we've reached time for another song break. But of course, it's time for you guys to vote away. On this poll, at what age do you think you will own your own house? You can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And those options again are 18 to 20, 21 to 24, 25 to 29, and 30 and over. And we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back. So Broad Rake asks, at what age do you think you will own your own house? And to find out the results to that poll, head over to our Twitch page. That's at Wiz Radio. Right, let's move on to our fourth discussion of this evening. And as always, you all know what I'm going to say. The most important discussion. And we're asking, are you already looking forward to Christmas? Um, well, Christmas is very quickly approaching. Um, it's only what? two months away and uh we're wondering if you've already got the decorations out got your christmas tree out wrapping your presents who knows callum are you already looking forward to christmas do you know what george i am a little bit actually it's, it's started to come into my head a little bit where where the nights are getting coming sooner sort of thing or the darkness is coming sooner and it's getting a <laughs> little bit chillier and things like that i've started to think oh it's you know what it's not probably that long till christmas now uh, which is a bit bonkers, really, because um, we, we haven't had Halloween yet. Um, not that we'll have much of a Halloween, I suppose, this year. 
Um, but, but yeah, so I suppose I am in a, in a sense looking forward to, to Christmas. I mean, wh- what about you, George? Yeah, I'm. 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 Firstly, firstly, I'm. I. I would like to get Halloween out of the way because I mean it's really annoying that this year that Halloween can't go ahead because I'd. I've really got my costume really well sorted out. I've printed off a picture of your face and I was going to, it's really annoying, Callum, but there you it's go. It's not very scary though, is it? It is very scary, believe me. <laughs> I showed, I showed my mum and she, she ran away. It was, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but once Halloween is out of the way, then yeah, absolutely. I will definitely start looking towards Christmas. I've never really liked Christmas. Um, I mean, it's all right. I think it's a bit overhyped. Um, but I wow. think that, well, yeah, I know, I know. I, uh, I think and hope that as I have a um uh, a girlfriend and and I think that Christmas will be uh good in that sense because I I believe I I'm, I'm potentially going to hers for Christmas which will be nice um not saying that I don't want to spend it with my family that's only really horrible um but <laughs> um but yeah I think that Christmas could be an interesting one this year with everything that's going on um I mean Callum have you got any plans to to have your family around or if the precautions are in place or restrictions in place do you think you'll have loads of ipads round at the table so it's a bit like star wars where you've got holograms <laughs> I, I to the, tell you the truth george i don't know because actually as i was um eating dinner last night my, my ancestor is going to tell me what they thought of as a way of you know coping with with the fact if it is this six person rule still um and I stupidly, we, we never actually, we got distracted and I never heard it. So I don't know what our plan is, um, if oh. that happens, to be honest with you. So I'll have to update everyone next week. I should, I should have brought, should have brought Jane as a, um, a guest on the show yeah, for we, this. Yeah, we really bit. should have done. Yeah. Yeah. God, how hopeless. I mean, do you think, do you think maybe they get, you get like a big marquee in your nan's garden or something? <laughs> it might be a bit chilly, George. Um, what, probably you can wrap not. up. We'll probably just have to split into two groups. I don't know. Ah, oh, well, Callum, you're always welcome here. You're, oh, you're not. Um, so, <laughs> how do you think this poll is going to go? I think that most people will say yes. Um, 60%. What about you? I'm going to say 70% of people will say yes. But as always, there's only one way to find out. And that's for all of you to go and vote on this poll. Are you already looking forward to Christmas? And you can do that at uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back after this. Hello and welcome back. So uh, before that break, we asked, are you already looking forward to Christmas? And to find out the results of that poll, please go to our Twitter page. That's at Wiz Radio. So unfortunately, it has got to that time of the evening again where Callum and I do have to say bye bye. But thanks so much for listening to To Be Discussed this week. We do really hope you've enjoyed this episode. As mentioned earlier, for the first segment of next week's show, we'd like you to send in your opinion on the question, should the UK legalise assisted suicide? You can send in those opinions by email to station with the radio UK, or through Twitter at WizRadio. So remember to send in your opinion on the question, should the UK legalise assisted suicide? And we're really looking forward to hearing what you think next week. It's now time for George and I to say ciao for now. So I've been Callum Gerd. And I've been George Cup. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week at the same time and the same place for another episode of To Be Discussed.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.